I had a very hard time concentrating. Being in the world again after going through such a traumatic loss was impossibly difficult. Getting dressed in the morning, putting on the face, appearing in front of a court of law and, and arguing. I was both empowered and ruined when I left my job. On this episode of The Creator Community, we'll meet Katie Joy Duke, a mother, mindset coach, and former attorney. We'll hear how Katie found herself developing ultra-deep empathy while fighting for her clients after losing her first child at birth. We'll then follow Katie's journey of pursuing her passion that empowered her to leave her legal career to help so many face their challenges by founding a mindset coaching business and publishing her debut memoir, Still Breathing, My Journey with Love, Loss, and Reinvention. Check out the show. Welcome to the Creator Community. This is a podcast from book publisher New Degree Press. I'm your host, John Saunders. This show is designed to celebrate, elevate, and showcase many of the incredible authors that have published their books with New Degree Press or NDP. This year, NDP will cross over 1,300 published authors on six continents and has earned the 293rd spot on the Inc. Magazine 5000 list. This is the fastest growing privately held companies in America. This is episode 10 of season four, and today I have with me Katie Joy Duke. She's a graduate of Florida State University from Tallahassee, Florida, and Vermont Law School. Katie Joy Duke practiced social justice law for nine years before becoming a writer, life coach, and mom. Katie has always processed her dreams, fears, and life experiences through the written word. When her daughter Poppy was stillborn in 2015, she turned straight to the page. Katie started blogging in 2016 to process her grief and found solace and meaning in the community that followed her journey. Ms. Duke lives north of Seattle with her husband, daughter, and scruffy dog, Wilson. She accesses power with yoga, serenity through meditation, and joy through song and dance. She believes laughter is the best medicine and vulnerability is her superpower. She's leveraged this superpower to publish her debut memoir coming out late this spring, 2022, Still Breathing, My Journey with Love, Loss, and Reinvention. Katie, great to see you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, John. And I love that you said debut memoir, because that means there's more in the works. <laughs> no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Well, Katie, thank you so much for being here. Before we jump into your book, I'd love to share with our listeners a bit more about your journey. You know, what led you here through your life and career to becoming an author? Oh my goodness. It's funny. I, I started out studying theater when I was in college. I wanted to be an actress. My big goal was to be on stage in New York City, like so many young aspiring actors and actresses. And I backpacked through Europe my sophomore year in college. And when I came home, I turned 21 and then the World Trade uh, Center towers fell. And that was my first experience with something like terrorism. I, I just had no context for that, being a young kid and, and not really understanding any of that. And I took a deep dive into the news. NPR became my best friend. And I became fascinated with all of the experts out there who were ready and, and willing and able to, to understand and help people process something that happened in a time of crisis. And I was also dealing with my own mental health um, challenges at the time. I was going through my very first experience with major depression 
depression and acting was really, it was, I was having, I was really struggling because I, I felt like I didn't know who I was and all this energy that I had to put into creating these characters was exhausting. So I ended up changing my major to English. I did end up minoring in theater, performing arts. But as I sort of expanded my worldview and my understanding of the globe and the fact that we really are a, a you know, we're a, a, a world community, the law became very compelling to me. So as I got closer and closer to graduating and trying to figure out what I was going to do, I thought, if I'm an English major, like, does that mean I have to write a book? Like, what am I going to write a book about? Like, I literally like struggled with that. I was like, I don't have anything to write a book about. So I went to law school. And that's sort of a circuitous way of saying that I have always been a writer. I've always been a pretty good writer. And I'm finally really stepping into my power that I am a writer. You know, like I think a lot of writers struggle with that, but I am a writer. And here I am six years after having gone through, well, definitely for me up until this point, the hardest thing that I've ever dealt with personally, the loss of my daughter and I am just so excited and thrilled to share this book with the world and make an impact on the, the bereaved community, the pregnancy loss community, the grief community, just humanity in general. You know, quite an adventure you've been on, traveling, finding your creative spirit, sort of testing it a little bit and realizing maybe there's a different way, moving over to law school as a practicing attorney for nine years. But then how did you make that switch after being an attorney to life coach? I mean, that's a big career change. What, what was, was that like for you? You know, it's interesting because as a coach now, one of the things that I work with a lot with my clients is our transitions and honoring transitions. A lot of times in our life, we, we can sometimes choose a transition, right? We can sort of anticipate the fact that we want to make a change in our life. In my case with lawyering and leaving my career, it was not a choice. Well, I chose to leave my career, but the transition itself was almost forced upon me. I went through my my pregnancy with Poppy, my daughter. We were full term. And so when, when Poppy died so unexpectedly, I, I had three months of maternity leave that I had already arranged with my employer. And I was prepared to stay at home and be a mommy. But after that, I mean, there were, I was certainly in no condition to return to work. So my husband actually ended up taking three months of FMLA time off too. And we ended up traveling and being together and, and solidifying our bond and our marriage. We were newlyweds. So going through that kind of loss at any stage in a marriage is traumatic, but especially for us because we were so fresh. So I tried going back to work about four months after I left. I was a social security disability attorney. And so my work inherently meant that I was dealing with people in trauma, years of trauma from losing their, their ability to use their body, losing their jobs, losing so many worldly possessions because of financial issues. So I found myself back in court four months after having lost my daughter, arguing cases on behalf of these, these people who were deeply traumatized and all of the sort of shields and protective barriers and, and, and layers of lawyering that I had built up over time were just gone. I had, I had no ability to separate myself from my clients. In fact, and, and people will read this when they read the memoir, but there were a few key clients that came into my life whose stories hit me so deeply that I felt like they were messengers from the universe that said, Katie, you've got to slow down. You have to stop your job. You have to stop this type of work. You have to take care of yourself. And so 
the transition was forced upon me. And I took time off. I left my job. I resigned. I didn't know if I was ever going to return to practicing law at the time. It didn't matter. I had saved some money. So I had money in savings and could afford to take the time off. And life coaching was something that I'd never even heard of up until that time. What's really cool is that in looking back on my early, early writings, my early journey and journal entries before I had any idea about coaching or ontological coaching, which is the type of coaching work I do, I can see now that I was intuiting this longing to work with people one-on-one in a very meaningful way that had more to do with who they were internally, who they were being in the world, as opposed to what they were doing in the world. And then I met a coach at a conference in Portland. I went to this conference called the uh, World Domination Summit. And it's a, it's a conference for creative entre- entrepreneurs, just kind of outside, outside the box thinkers, super cool conference. And that's where I met a coach who happens to be an ex-lawyer. And so I was like, whoa, okay. So you can do something other than practice law. Like I, I went to law school right out of undergrad. So my concept of like doing something other than with what the education that I had gotten for was completely foreign to me. And I met all these attorneys who were doing other things and were happy. And so that's how I got to coaching. And I've since been trained and I now have had a practice for the last four years working one-on-one with people. And I'm really excited to see now that I have my memoir, where my coaching practice is going to go because I want to, I want to, I want to grow it. So going through this tragic life experience with your own daughter, Poppy, and having a lens on so many people that were going through, you know, also very tragic and difficult circumstances in their life, going through that experience yourself gave you a, a, maybe a deeper lens on what they were going through. Is that what I'm hearing? And that's where this connection came about, where you realized you said you were forced into this position, but you were forced in the sense that you felt compelled to do it or? I was a wreck. I mean, John, I'm a recovering perfectionist and I'm a straight A student. I graduated with highest honors in college. I didn't graduate in higher school, not, not in law school. I kind of goofed around a little bit in law school, but Hey, I was having fun. So, and I learned a lot, but I took my work very seriously. And by the time I went back to work four months after my daughter died, I was having panic attacks. Hmm. I had a very hard time concentrating being in the world again, after going through such a traumatic loss was impossibly difficult getting dressed in the morning, putting on the face, appearing in front of a court of law and and arguing. I was both empowered and ruined when I left my job. So, I mean, I made the choice and no one forced me to leave my job. And in fact, everyone kept telling me what a good job I was doing. You're doing a great job. And I thought, thank you. But I feel like a complete wreck inside and I'm used to doing a plus work. And this feels like D minus, like I, even if I could have gotten by that, that's one of the interesting things I think about, like with grief and trauma and loss and the choices that we make after we go through something. So life altering is a lot of people just kind of barrel through and I couldn't do that. I couldn't barrel through. I had to stop and honor the fact that something much bigger was at play. And the only way that I was going to be able to process and see and grow and transform and ultimately reinvent myself 
was by stopping was by slowing down, was by resting, was by learning how to be with myself and feel all the feelings and not ignore them by just going to work and not ignore them by just doing the thing that I felt like I had to do. And that's, you know, as a coach now, that's something that I work with with my clients when they feel compelled to just do, 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 you know, I help people slow down and step back and say, okay, but great. You want to do all this. You want to accomplish, you want to create, but who are you being with yourself? in the interim. And so that's what I had to really learn how to do is I learned who I be in the world. It's a weird question, but it's like, you know, everyone says, how are you? It's like, well, who you be? (laughs) It's a really interesting kind of mind game. That's interesting. So just going through this tragedy in your circumstance helped you create this much larger level of awareness about your own self, your own journey, what you feel and be like every day. And helped you to see this greater empathy for your clients and found this deeper connection and helped you make this transition to life and mindset coach. So Katie, uh, what is a mindset coach? What is, what does that mean? You know, I, I'm so glad you're asking that question because I'm still figuring it out myself. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I think truly one of the things that I like about this idea of calling myself a mindset coach, right? Cause I could throw any adjective in front of the word coach. I mean, for a long time, I just called myself a life coach cause I didn't really know, but what I'm, what I'm learning more about myself is that when I get clear on like my intention, when I get clear on my, my purpose, like my Dharma, like where am I heading? Like, what is my, what is my goal? Well, goal is a really tricky word, but like where, how am I showing up in the world? Right. Who do I want to be? And in my case, I'll say that I am courage. I am radiance. I am joy. I am love. I am power. These are the sort of, this is my essence. This is what I, this is how I show up in the world, whether I really, really, I want to or not. I can also show up in survival mechanism. I can be like a perfectionist. I can be super righteous. I can be kind of B I T C H Y, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you have to beep out those words. So I'll just spell it for all you writers out there. (laughs) You know, I can be all those things. Right. But in terms of being a mindset coach, it's being, it's, it's noticing who's in charge here? Is it my head or my heart? Right. And ultimately the interesting thing I think about being a mindset coach is to me, it has much more to do about living a heart centered life and being wholehearted, like Brene Brown's work of like showing up as a, like, who am I as a wholehearted person? And so it's noticing when my mind gets in the way of my true intention, but being a mindset coach is noticing when, when my mind is taking over and when my wheels are spinning And when those thoughts that can also, I'm like sometimes sabotage who I really want to be, you know, and noticing that and then doing something counter to that, getting, finding ways to get back to who I really want to be in the world. Recognizing where we are, what's happening to us, how we're reacting to certain things. And does that align with our values, our purpose, and what we really want to bring to the table? And and what I'm hearing is sort of helping people refine that center, because I think so many times in life we are doing and doing and getting distracted by so many different things and impulses and, and incentives, right? And, and how, do we, how do we navigate that journey? And that's what you help people do. I think that's absolutely brilliant because I think so many times we do start to feel lost and we are so busy doing that we, we never actually figure out what it is we, we are being, right? Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh-huh. You get stuck on autopilot too, right? Like this idea of like, I have to be a lawyer because I went to law school. I mean, I, I have to do this because I did that. Like I, I have to, because my parents paid for this education. I have to, because I, because I even, because I said I would, right? Like I am a real big proponent of being allowed to change your mind. You know, like if you make a commitment and you get like 27% into it and you're like, actually, this isn't what I want, but the 27% that I did helped me figure out that I actually want to go this way. Embrace the squiggle. That's something I was talking about with a friend the other day is that I had a creative writing coach along my process of writing my memoir. I got stuck several times. And I think that we can all relate to that as writers, but I was working with this coach and sort of like what we learned is that my brain had been taught to, to work linearly. And so many of us are right. Like you do a, B, C, D, E, especially as a lawyer, right. I had been trained like that. I had to do it that way. And what we ended up coming up with for me that helped me write my memoir was to embrace the squiggle. I mean, if we're really honest, come on, life looks like this. Life is a swirly, whirly all over the place. And you can have an idea that, you know, you've got A and you want to get to, to Z, but whoa, are we, if we're really honest with ourselves, it very rarely is a straight line, right? So embracing the squiggle and really enjoying that, getting playful and, and getting really curious about how your life can actually be what you want it to be. So many times I hear authors tell me uh, that, you know, I had a very non-linear author journey and I, I've heard it so many times now I realize there is no linear author journey, right? It's just, I love this idea of embracing the squiggle and also, you know, you might get part of the way into something and know that you can take a turn. I know I honestly came very close to throwing my book away, probably around the 27% mark because I was so frustrated. <laughs> I couldn't get out of the gate on chapter one of all chapters. and. I had to go back to my developmental editor and, and some of the coaches that we had access to, and they talk, quite frankly talked me off the ledge, and that was incredibly helpful to me in the process. So, what was the what was the process? What was this journey like for you? Writing so the I, memoir. Yeah. So when I came to the Creator Institute, I already had over a hundred thousand words. So unlike many authors that start with an idea and zero words that come to the Creator Institute, I I had an idea that I'd been working on for five years at that point. So what I was struggling with last year, this time was one, how I was ever actually going to get it done. (laughs) Two, how I was ever going to actually get it published. And for me, in my case, one of my biggest fears was the rejection that I might face after so many years of painstakingly hard work and you know both spiritual work on my own part but then the work going into writing the actual thing and and getting the story down i was almost so afraid of that rejection itself that it was a paralyzing thing to getting the book done right so when i had my initial conversation with eric custer who is just such a dynamic human being and i'm so grateful for him i was i was actually kind of concerned that i might not get accepted to the program because i'd written too much already and he, that was like not an issue i don't think he's afraid of anything i mean i know we know he has fears but you know what i mean he, I, re- I will never forget and i put this in the acknowledgments of my book but he he told me he's like all right at the end of the call he's like all right this is going to be fun and i thought to myself 
did he hear what my book is about? Like, how is this going to be fun? I disagree. I disagree. But I thought, you know what? Fine. If this guy says it can be fun, then it'll be fun. So I came to the program with a lot of material, but I desperately needed help organizing it. And I desperately needed the help of my developmental editor. I didn't realize how valuable the community was actually going to be in the, and now on the back end, I can say, oh my gosh, all these other authors that I got to connect with and all the coaches and everything. Wow. But what I was so excited about was the developmental editor, because what I needed was to figure out the arc. Like I had ideas in where the story was going to end, but I just couldn't figure out how to put it together and whether or not it made sense. Because my book is not only about the death of my daughter, Poppy, but it's also about the death of my father, Jim. And his, his passing was due to prostate cancer in February of 2019. And, and, and so that was, so the book sort of spans, it's actually from February of 2015, when we found out we were pregnant to February of 2019, four years later, when my dad died. And I didn't have any idea, obviously, when I started writing the book in January of 2016, after Poppy died, that my, my dad was going to pass away. But when I was at his memorial service in February, actually, it would, it would have been March of 2019, his actual service. It was just like I was flooded with all of this information. It was like I just downloaded all this information from Source Energy and, and, and from the universe and or God, however you want to say it. And I was like, oh, this is where my story ends with, with how I was able to be with my father because of my daughter's death, how I was able to be with my dad and anticipate his passing. Cause there's so many different types of grief with Poppy. It was a very traumatic, unexpected death that we didn't see coming with my dad, because he had such a long journey with prostate cancer. It was anticipatory grief. I knew that he was going to die. And because of everything I'd learned in that four-year span, you know, I was able to say goodbye to him and, and be with him and, and have all these incredible conversations about the afterlife. And, and that's something that I'm really excited about my book being able to, cause not everyone can relate to pregnancy loss and I don't expect everyone to be able to relate to it, but we can all relate to losing a parent. And even if we haven't yet, my hope is that my book can touch the hearts of those people with maybe ailing parents or, you know, to be with our, our parents, to, to talk about those, those things that are so scary, like death and, and what life will be like when that person is gone. So interesting for those who might not know, you mentioned that your book was a hundred thousand words uh, arriving at the creator Institute, which is the manuscript phase of writing a book. New degree press is the publishing side of the house. A hundred thousand words is probably a 600 page book, right? When you sort of put it together and you have so many pieces of, of, of a story to pull together here about, about your daughter. And then of course your father and cancer, which we'll get to here, I think in just a bit, but how you talked about the developmental editor and really helped you create this story arc. So what did, where did you land on with the story arc? How did you get this hundred thousand words down to the book as it is uh, published in about due yeah. out? So I'll say that from start to finish, including a handful of beautiful pictures in my appendix, my book is actually only 214 pages. So I'm excited about the fact that it is actually so concise. 
it's a little under 50,000 words total. I had already pre-organized a ton of my writing. I had probably 20 different folders and a lot of it was, well, it was squiggly. It was sort of linear, but sort of squiggly. And so what I did with my developmental editor was deleting, like just just delete. Like he, he, I mean, it was one of my hardest assignments, but he was like, Katie, print everything out that you have, which I did. I went on these little solo escapes by myself with, you know, a printout of 180 plus, you know, pages and just deleted, just not being afraid to let go of the crap. You've got to get it down on paper in order to see what you've got. And so what I did with my developmental editor was get the good stuff in there, start seeing the arc. So in in a funny sort of, you know, twist of the story, my book is completely linear. It is chronological. When you read the story, it will be from the day that I move in with my boyfriend to the the day that Moxie, my now living four and a half year old and I ride into the sunset to go to the library. And it is 100%. It's written in the past tense, but it's totally linear, but it couldn't have gotten to that point if it hadn't been all over the place. The developmental editor. Yeah. Was just that she helped me create the arc and she helped me have the courage to insert my dad's story into things there was a lot of healing that happened while I wrote the book, especially with Melody, my developmental editor, because I finally like could acknowledge how much I really do miss my dad and what an incredibly huge impact he had on my life and what an incredibly amazing relationship he and I nurtured after Poppy died, you know, up until when he passed away too. So getting this story arc together with your developmental editor, going through all these challenging times and so much, dare I say, so much grief throughout your journey here. You know, was there, what do you feel at the end of the day, Katie, was, what was your mission behind getting this book out there? What was your why behind it? Would you say? It's hard, it to, hard to narrow it down, isn't it? Uh, well, it, it transformed. So yeah. the very first why was to save my own soul. It was completely selfish. It was 100% for me, the book was a way for me to understand what I was going through, for me to get some perspective, for me to get the feelings out, to process. I was inspired to write my memoir because of another memoir that I read of a woman who had gone through a loss very similar to mine. And I read her book a couple weeks after Poppy passed away. It was very, very fresh. And what was so poignant to me now that I think back on it is even though she had written her book and had had time to process, I even two weeks in related to everything she had to say. I was living it. And her words just hit me so deeply. And what was so inspiring her name is Elizabeth McCracken. And the book that I'm referring to is uh, the title is an exact replica of a figment of my imagination. Her son pudding died at uh, full term as well. She was 38 weeks pregnant when she found out that he didn't have a heartbeat, but she is a creative writing author. She is a, a professor of creative writing. Her memoir read in this just beautifully lyrical, poetic, descriptive imagery you know it it wasn't just a sob story it was gorgeous 
And so I took that and I applied that to how I wanted to tell my story. So the why (laughs) transformed, it started with me and then it became much, much bigger. And my why became to, to help other bereaved parents to feel less alone, to know that other people go through this, to build community. And I will say that I had to go back to my why. Oh, I feel emotional. Just I had to go back to my why so many times, John, because there were so many times when I wanted to throw in the towel, when I was so tired of it, when I was so sad, when I, I just couldn't imagine going back but I always did. And I, I always went back to my work and I will say that one, one time I found, I have so many journals, I've got it all in little folders. And there are times when I've had to go back and I've had to look at like, why am I doing this? Why am I so crazy? And I found this list that I'd written out 24,000 babies are stillborn in the United States every single year. And stillbirth is hard to believe. Yeah. yeah. Stillbirth is defined as a, a loss after 20 weeks gestation. So anything before 20 weeks is considered a miscarriage, and everything after 20 weeks is, is stillbirth. So 24,000 babies are stillborn in the United States every year. That means 48,000 parents, mommies and daddies, are grieving. It had been five years since Poppy died. So I was like, oh my gosh, 125,000 babies have been stillborn since Poppy, which means that 250,000 parents are going through the type of grief that I'm going through. And truly that's a drop in the bucket because miscarriage, one in four pregnancies end in miscarriage, which is just as traumatic, just as difficult. I mean, a loss is a loss is a loss. And so I had to, you know, that why that anchored me to this bigger purpose of being able to talk about the really hard things that we go through in life and, and to that there is hope, you know, that, that everyone's story is going to be different, but everybody's story matters. And you might not want to write a book and that's okay. But what I do hope is that when, when you do read my memoir, you find that one person to have that conversation with, or you have your little tiny community, or maybe you knit hats for babies that are in, that are, you know, in NICUs or whatever it is that, that, that you do that gives you meaning and you purpose and a way to process your grief. So I'm a writer and that's my jam, but my big why is to help inspire other people to do that thing. That's going to help them get through such a difficult experience. So helping others and helping them know that grief is a thing and you don't have to hide from it. Let's, let's face it and maybe uh, learn through your own journey and, and the one that you read, the author you cited earlier. And so creativity sounds like played a big part of your healing process. As we said in the intro, you went right to writing out of the gate. You know, when you think about all of this grief that you've dealt with, and of course, we haven't even gotten to it yet, but now you've recently been diagnosed with cancer. I'm so sorry to report with folks out there. You know, what wisdom about grief or grieving would you share with our audience today about your previous journey and likely the one you're facing today? Yeah, well, grief is a universal experience that I didn't really realize until Poppy died. 
grief is like a frequency, you know, like we've got radio waves and microwaves and all the waves. Well, grief, I think really truly is an energy. If, if we're willing to honor it, if we're willing to tap into it and acknowledge that it's there to me, it's actually, it is actually the human experience that brings more meaning to my life than anything else, you know, like, yes, joy and love and, and celebration and, and birth, you know, all those things are so incredible, but the cycle of life and death is honoring it and acknowledging it. And I I think that we, we live so much in a culture of denial, you know, I mean, think about like the anti-aging movement, right? Like the billions of dollars that are spent every year to, to not age or to look like you're not aging or whatever, right? Like in some ways, that's all a form of denial. Like, sure, take care of yourself. Yes, drink lots of water, take your vitamins, do all those things. But also like aging is normal. It's natural. Death happens. And it's a beautiful thing if we can if we can be with it. It's okay to not be okay. It's okay to grieve. Here's the other thing about grief. Grief doesn't just relate to death. Hands down. I mean, think about what's going on in our world right now. I mean, the the, the pandemic, we grieved our, our loss of our freedom for, for a couple of years. There's the environment, you know, we're coming up on Earth Day, like the grief of, of global warming. Like there's so much grief that if we allow ourselves to feel those feelings, I think it actually creates a web of connection. It binds us to other people and to humanity and to the earth and our home in a way that makes life much more meaningful. Meaningful. Uh, I appreciate this idea you've shared around, you know, grief comes from transitions with transitions or change, right? These things can take on many different forms. And I really appreciate this thread that you continue to talk about, which is we have to honor these transitions and accept them and face them. And when we do, as you're saying, it can create greater connection. What a what a, a powerful thought to put out there. Because as you said, we live in this denial thing where we don't want to face things. We sweep it under the rug and hope it goes away. And of course it never does. And then, and then we find, you know, all these different regrets in our life as we move on. So, you know, when you think about all these challenges and, and transitions that you faced and, and found, you know, found ways to honor, you know, how do you think that's changed you and, and your relationship to your life and your family now as a mother? Oh, as a mother? Well, gosh, you know, I will say this, and I'm going to start off by saying I was diagnosed with breast cancer last month, and that was deeply shocking and, and traumatizing. And I have processed a lot very quickly, but as it relates to both being a mother and having a diagnosis of breast cancer, do not sweat the small stuff, people. <laughs> Life is way too short. I, I, one of the things I'll have to say lately with my daughter, who is now four and a half, who is just such a, a light to my life. Her name is Moxie. She is full of Moxie. She is amazing. I am practicing saying yes, as much as I possibly can. Yes. Yes. 
Can I have another thing? Can I watch another show? Can we have cereal for dinner? Yes, yes, we can. Because you know what? It doesn't really matter when it comes down to it. What matters are, you know, those foundational experiences like and it's the little it's the little things that matter. So don't sweat the small stuff and embrace the little things. Life is way too short. I had my first round of chemotherapy last week. And I've been following these inspirational people, women on Instagram who've gone through breast cancer journeys themselves. And I just, these alligator tears were just pouring out as I sat on my phone in bed. And I, and I just read some of this woman's posts and I had to remind myself that, you know, my journey with cancer is going to be unique and mine. It's, it's again, binding me to this very large community, you know, anyone that's been through cancer and specifically in my case, breast cancer, I can just embrace the present, you know, being, being more present. I use meditation. I, and I will say this, and this is something that I want to incorporate into my coaching practice. I do meditate a lot. Most of it is in bed. I call it meditation. But I say meditation primarily because I want people to understand that like, do you do you like whatever works for you, just embrace whatever brings you joy, whatever brings you peace, whatever. It's not going to look the same as everybody else's. And certainly my journey isn't going to resonate with everyone's right. But I think that the key is, you know, really honoring again, our, our uniqueness and also the universality of just being a human and that we all feel all the feelings. No one is immune to anything. And I'm like, I'm a hot pink example of that, that, you know, that we can still have a beautiful perspective on life and go through all the hard stuff. Know that life won't be a perfect journey. It's going to have some ups and downs, some pretty severe ones in your case, right? And they just continue to keep coming. And what a brilliant way to look at the world. And I, I love these lessons you continue to take away from these, what I think many would see as insurmountable challenges, right? I mean, loss of a child, loss of your father, now breast cancer. And here you are fighting away, following these creative journeys, continue to help others and try to inspire them. You know, I mean, I, I I feel I want to say congratulations for getting this book done because I mean, holy cow, what a journey you've been on. And and but I feel like congratulations is an odd message to say with all this, these challenges you face, but you face them head on and found these new ways to go through life, not sweating the small stuff, letting your your kid do, you know, do the extra the cereal for dinner. I love this. What you know, what has been an unexpected positive for you along this journey, Katie, aside from finding pink as your new color for hair? You know, community, I could have the most positive mindset in the world, but if I didn't have my people, none of it would matter. Relationships, I have worked so hard. I have nurtured so many relationships over the years. I, I have shown up for others just as often as others have shown up for me. And I have also allowed people to help. I think one, one gift that Poppy taught me that I don't think I was especially good at before she died was both asking for help and receiving help. One of the best, one of the best things that I think anyone can do for another person when they're hurting is, is, you know, just giving of themselves, right. Giving of their time, 
giving their thoughts and prayers, giving a, a warm meal, giving a, a ride to the doctor's office, giving some babysitting, taking the dog for a walk. I mean, it, it's just endless. What I have learned and what Poppy taught me is how to one, ask for help and, and how to receive it. At our core, we are all so longing for community and connection with one another and let other people help you. You know, it, it, you know, that's that vulnerability piece. When I say that vulnerability is my superpower, it really is like, and people are like, you're, I'm amazed at how will, you know, how willing you are to share what you go through. And I'm kind of like, well, one, it kind of feels compulsive. I, I, at this point in my life, I almost feel like I can't not, but two, when I share what I'm going through, it gives one, you permission to help me, but two, it also gives you permission to tell somebody else that you're going through a hard time. I've received so many messages and voicemails and DMs and all that of people that say, you know what, Katie, I've been dealing with something all by myself for three weeks. And then I saw your live on Facebook, or I saw your post on Instagram. And I realized that I need to tell people what I'm going through. So I picked up the phone and I called my best friend and I feel so much better because I'm not alone. And I'm just like, yes, yay. Like, thank, I'm so glad because, you know, my, my traumas and my tragedies are specific. They're, they're mine, you know, like not everyone is going to have a stillborn child. Thank God. Not everyone's going to go through breast cancer. Thank goodness. You know, but, but we all go through hard times. Don't fool yourself. Nobody's immune. And we're all struggling. We're all struggling. Even if our hair looks amazing. And it does. And it does. (laughs) Vulnerability, right? So many times we see it as a weakness. What I'm hearing is vulnerability breeds vulnerability, and it can be a superpower and a way to connect this thread that continues to come up, right? Connection will be face reality. It can help us connect and have deeper relationships with others. And I love that you're taking this, these pains and struggles you've been through and finding a way to help inspire others. What a beautiful message you have here, Katie Joy Duke. What is next for you? What is uh, next for you and your journey? Well, I'm already working on my second memoir. I have decided that I, I mean, like you said, still breathing is my debut, which I'm like, Ooh, I hadn't said that, but I just love that. Cause I, I do, I, I feel kind of like, you know, I'm going to put myself in the the echelon of uh, Glennon Doyle here. She's a, I feel like she's a serial memoirist. She's written now, I think three or four or however many, but I, um, you know, fascinating things keep happening to me and I love to write. So I'm going to keep telling my story. So I'm working on my second memoir. The working title is No Expectations. <laughs> which I think is really funny. It'll probably change. I think still breathing had, I probably had like four or five different working titles until I got inspired, but I'm working on my second memoir. I am taking care of myself. I showed my husband the massive handful of vitamins and supplements that I am now charged with taking every single day to help support my organs as I poison myself with chemotherapy. I am looking forward to a beautiful summer my book launch, super psyched about that. I'm, you know, planning the the ebook comes out later this month. The paperback comes out in May, and then I guess at some point this summer I'll be recording the audiobook because I'm doing an audiobook. That's so it's so cool all the full circleness of my life, growing up studying theater, going to college, using my voice. Now I get to record an audiobook. Oh, I think it's going to be incredible. All my favorite memoirs 
have always been read by the author, like, like Elizabeth Gilbert, like eat, pray, love. Oh, it's so good. So I'm really excited about bringing my energy to the book, building my coaching practice. I'm really excited about putting together like some group workshops, I'm kind of still figuring out the content there, but you know, grief, vulnerability, motherhood, being a badass. It'll all be in there. So many exciting days ahead for you and so many, dare I say, exciting days behind you that you continue to find uh, positive, good for you and, and bringing this message to the world of, of facing these challenges, owning grief, helping others go through it as well, and all through community and relationship building. And I think at the end of the day, you know, empowering others to, to live through these challenges themselves. What a great message to put out there to the world, Katie. If people want to learn more about you and your book, where, where might they go? Absolutely. So you can visit my website, katiejoyduke.com. You can join my author community newsletter. You can just enter your name and email there on my website. Um, you can watch a book trailer that I made with uh, NDP about the book and a little learn a little bit more about the story. And um, I'm going to be blogging about my cancer journey and Instagram at katiejoyduke. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like keeping everything simple, using my full name. It feels like each time a challenge enters your life, a, a new positive appears. And cool. speaking speaking of positives, you have a brilliant uh, quote here from Stephanie Marshall that I thought might be interesting to share uh, that's written about your book. I wish I could have read Katie's book when my daughter died shortly after birth three years ago. There are a lot of books about the early days of grief, but few share in depth about what life looks like many months and years later. Katie's beautiful writing and honesty in sharing her journey after the death of her daughter, Poppy, will bring readers comfort and hope for the future. Life after loss is unbearably painful, but Katie shows us not only that we can survive, but that it's also possible to create a beautiful life full of joy, remembrance, and love. Stephanie Marshall, Lost Mom to Brie. What an amazing quote. How did that one make you feel when that showed up in your inbox, your email? Well, Stephanie is so special. Stephanie is someone that I, I've actually never met Stephanie face-to-face. She purchased my book during the Indiegogo campaign. The pre-sale. I, the pre-sale. Yeah. I, I posted a link to my pre-sale campaign in a support group that I'm in here in uh, the Seattle area through Seattle Children's Hospital. And she was one of the handful of people that just purchased my book and followed me on Instagram. And I reached out to her and I was like, who are you? You know, on Instagram, she's flowers for Brie. That's the one, the way that she has chosen to honor her daughter is by planting this beautiful flower garden. And so she posts all these pictures for Brie. And so we can, she's like, oh, I'm Stephanie. I bought your book. And we created this connection that way again, community, right? Like, oh my gosh. So now I've, I've met this woman and this mom. And then when, because she was part of my author community, when I put it out to everyone who wanted to beta read my book, she said, yes, she actually, she offered to read the introduction and not the whole thing. So she read the introduction and then I got her feedback and I was just like, Stephanie, would you pretty please read my whole book? Like I, I, I need you, like you are meant to read this book. You are, you are meant to help me make this book more amazing. And she was the one lost mom that I had beta read my whole book. And I tell you people, Stephanie made my book 27% better. (laughs) There's that number again. Yeah, I know. I'm just making it up. (laughs) 
but yeah, so that's how Stephanie I met and and she is local. We're eventually we'll get together, but yeah, that's who Stephanie is. And her, her review and her words just meant so much to me because she is a bereaved mother and she has been through it. And again, just grow your community. You never know who you're going to meet out there. Put yourself out there, face your fears. I mean, I have plenty of fears, but I don't usually let them stop me. So yeah. Creation continues to prove to be an unbelievably powerful force of huge, as you have shown again and again throughout this journey, meeting with Stephanie, connecting with so many, connecting more deeply with your friends, family, and the relationships around you. And it just continues to prove positive for you, even though these challenges continue to mount. What an unbelievable story. Katie, thank you so much for sharing your story with the, the creator community. Thank you, John. Thank you so much for doing this work and to the creator community and new degree pests. You're too kind. Uh, Tune in. This is season four, episode 10. Subscribe to the channel today. Be sure to leave a comment below for Katie Joy Duke and her story. I'm your host of the creator community, John Saunders. Keep moving forward.